It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, December 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Fifth Circuit Court rules the Mississippi abortion bill unconstitutional. The governor plans to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. We hear from both sides of the argument. And after more than 20 years in custody, Curtis Flowers is released. Plus, the Department of Housing and Urban Development awards the Choctaw Housing Authority a $5 million grant. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. But first, severe weather made its way through the state yesterday. MPB's Michael Guidry checks in with Greg Michelle, Executive Director of MEMA, for the agency's preliminary damage assessment. So uh, initial assessment is we've got 25 counties that were affected across the state uh, with, uh, with damage. Uh, 14 tornadoes uh, 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 causing that damage. Um, the damage assessment, of course, right now is still very preliminary because when these storms hit, it was well into the night. Uh, still out doing assessments right now. Now we're tracking 150 plus homes that have been damaged, uh, some businesses, churches destroyed. Uh, but as we do those assessments today during the daylight hours, uh, I am confident that those numbers are going to increase substantially. The Weather Service predicted that the central part of the state was going to be where the most severe weather was, uh, and based on the, the number of counties that were impacted, uh, that was accurate. However, we did have uh, we did have severe damage up in the northern part of the state. Uh, as well as in the south. Um, you know, of the 14 tornadoes, we had six struck the north part of the state, uh, seven of those were in the central portion of the state, and then we had one uh, down south, was kind of in the south, uh, southwestern portion of the state. So, um, uh, you know, we, we as of this morning, about 4 o'clock, we still had about 12,000 uh, power outages. Of course, those crews have been working through the night uh, to get that done. Uh, uh, 20 injuries, uh, 20 injuries across the state, which is which is high. Um, you know, we 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 had storms like this earlier in the year, but this is a this is a large number of injuries uh, to have. Uh, the good news is we had no fatalities last night. Uh, by the grace of God, no one was killed. We did had one uh, severe injury over in Amick County uh, that was reported that was in critical condition. Uh, have not gotten any updates on that as of yet. 
the governor will be signing a state of emergency today. Uh, we could be looking at our fifth presidential declaration as a result of this storm, but until we do final uh, damage estimates to, to, to determine exactly, um, you, you know, dollar amount of the damages, uh, that's that's still a very preliminary estimate. Those initial relief efforts, if people want to assist in the relief efforts, what can they do? So, uh, you know, this is always a question that comes up, and people are always very willing uh, and have a desire to want to help. Uh, the key there is to make sure that, that you're communicating with the, you know, with the local uh, community. So the emergency management director is going to be the first step, um, and then they typically will have a point of contact in the community that will coordinate for those efforts. Uh, MEMA will assist those counties uh, when, they're need, when they're needed necessary to set up um, a, uh, you know, a donation, a point of contact to receive those donations. Um, but as far as across the board to find out where the, those unmet needs are, we'll work that and send that up uh, from the state and then make those announcements where, where appropriate. Greg Michelle, Executive Director of MEMA, thank you so much for that update this morning. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The Fifth Circuit Court has upheld a lower court ruling on Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. Governor Phil Bryant has stated he intends to challenge the ruling in the U.S. Supreme Court. Joey Fillingane is a Senate Republican from Sumrall. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance he supports the governor's plan to appeal. You either accept it and let it go or you appeal it. And my guess is that we would appeal that decision but um, usually that would be in the purview of the attorney general and the, the governor. And now the governor has said that he is going to be appealing this and he's going yes. to take it to the Supreme Court. Yes. Uh, could you give me your reactions to that? Uh, well, very glad that he is doing that. I think we all understood uh, when we were working on this piece of legislation that ultimately the final arbiter of whether this is allowed or not would be the U.S. Supreme Court. So, the fact that uh, a trial court judge at the district court level and then the three-judge panel at the Fifth Circuit um, ruled the way they did, it's not very surprising given the Supreme Court precedents that we're attempting to challenge here with this particular piece of legislation. So the system is working the way it, it typically does, and you know you have to have a law in order to challenge Supreme Court precedents which is what we are attempting to do here. And now they've they've called it unconstitutional. How does that make you feel like um, that they say that this is completely unconstitutional in the Fifth Circuit Court? Well, of course I disagree, but I'm not on the Fifth Circuit either, so my opinion doesn't matter nearly as much as the um, the judges that are seated on the Fifth Circuit. But again, when you look at the Supreme Court precedents, uh, Roe v. Wade and its progeny, it would be rather difficult in my opinion, for the Fifth Circuit to find otherwise, given the current precedent. But that sort of begs the question, we're not happy with the Roe v. Wade precedent. So if you're going to have a law to challenge that, you would ultimately have to lose in the lower courts before it actually gets to the U.S. Supreme Court. And now this uh, this legislation that's trying to get passed, um, why did y'all draft it in the first place? What was the idea behind it? Well, the idea behind it is that we value the life of the unborn child as much as the life of the mother. So we want to affirm both lives, and the current Supreme Court stratagem doesn't really do that. It places way more emphasis on the health and well-being of the mother and much less so on the potential for unborn life. And that's what the Supreme Court has said. 
the state at a given point has an interest in the current Supreme Court um, precedents of weighing and valuing the unborn life, but it's always subservient to that of the mother. And so we want the Supreme Court to have the opportunity to review their Supreme Court precedents, Roe v. Wade and all the others, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and be able to, with a newly composed Supreme Court, take a new fresh look at that and see if that doesn't need to be adjusted somewhat. And now the if they did see it and they saw it constitutional, what would that mean for not only Mississippi but the entire country? Well, I think it would be a huge step forward for the recognition that with current medical technology, we can see so much more and know so much more about what is actually developing in the mother's womb in this child's life more so than they did back in 1973, of course, when Roe v. Wade was first decided. And every year we just get better and better information and more information that was just not available to the justices back in 1973. So with anything, you have to stay current with the technology. And once you get new and better information and more detailed information, certainly the court ought to have the ability to take all that into consideration seeing how advanced a child is at these given increments that they just really had no idea of back in 1973. Senate Republican Joey Fillingain of Sumrall. Diane Dursis owns the Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only abortion clinic in the state. She tells our Kobe Vance that the law was intentionally designed to bring the issue before a conservative-leaning U.S. Supreme Court. Well, this is just uh, another example. Actually, the 15-week was heard last year, I believe, um, and just came down. And we've already been back for no, we've not been back for the we the the, the court put the two together, the six week abortion ban. You know, I call Mississippi the canary in the mind because whatever you see there, you're going to be seeing pretty much everywhere else. You have legislators there who well, and you have a, a governor. That's really the, the thing. Uh, Phil Bryant has stated on numerous occasions he wants to see Mississippi become the first abortion-free state, and he has led the charge uh, on anything and everything. And these people don't care that they are spending absolutely millions of taxpayer dollars on these because they are a one-agenda state, and that's to make it abortion-free. You know, and to me, that's always the most the strangest thing about this state, who is number one in infant mortality and low incomes for the children that are in existence, so it's it's have them at any cost, but we don't we don't care whether or not they're able to live. You know, it's just it's a one agenda state, um, but these are all all planned attacks on Roe that they hope they will get up before this court, which is now poised to overturn Roe. Um, so you see other things that are very similar to this bill, but they're just throwing anything and everything they can uh, at the Supreme Court, hoping that they'll take the worst thing. And so as it goes forward, um, what what is the process going forward with the courts? N- now, this one will now move up uh, to the Supreme Court, and they will have the uh, ability to take the case, if they so decide, to hear it. Um, or to let it languish, and if they do that, then the 
Court of Appeals opinion stands. But, you know, um, they have so many that are similar to this in front of them um, that it, it'll be interesting to see which one they do take. And why is this important to you? What what drives you to fight against this legislation? I had an abortion when I was 20 years old and married. And, you know, I know that if a woman cannot decide whether or when to have a child, she cannot make any decision in her life. You know, that we don't want to talk about the fact that if you're white and privileged, you are able to get an abortion and you've always been able to do so. If you're black or brown or someone who is poor, you are forced to have a child that you neither want nor can you care for. You know, and for me, that is absolutely horrific. Governor Bryant has said that he's going to appeal this into the Supreme Court. Um, Can I get your reaction to that? Well, the problem with this is that they've already taken the Louisiana case, and they're going to hear that in March, which means they'll be ruling on that in June. So within six months, you could see an abortion-free state in our next-door neighbor. If they uphold the same law that they turned down two years ago, and that would be the only reason they took this case, and that's what you're looking at. So there's always a possibility that they will take this one, but I think there are others in front of us that are probably more engaging. And so if they do take this case, do you uh, do you have like, expectations of how this is going to come out? Do you see this coming out uh, pro or anti-abortion? If they take this case, it will be anti because they have the votes. I mean, you know, the the handwriting is on the wall. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Louisiana case is the same exact thing that two years ago they upheld, that the Supreme Court upheld. So there is no way they would have taken this case unless they were planning to overturn that opinion. Diane Dursis is the owner of the Jackson Women's Health Organization. Coming up, after over 20 years in custody, Curtis Flowers is released. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There are nearly 300,000 Mississippians who work or are retired from service with the state of Mississippi in public schools, municipalities, counties, and other public agencies. The director of the Public Employees Retirement System of Mississippi will be the next guest on Money Talks. You can listen and learn from our discussion that will be broadcast after Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio statewide. If you miss it, find the podcast at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. For the first time in more than two decades, Curtis Flowers is out of prison. Circuit Court Judge Joseph Loper granted Flowers bond on Monday. He also stated the state has raised its burden in trying the case for a seventh time. MPB's Ashley Norwood was in Winona when the judge presented his ruling. In the next trial, should one occur, the state of Mississippi is faced with the prospect of having to present a far weaker case to the jury than it's had in the past, while having to meet a higher burden of proof than it has ever had to meet. Considering all these factors, the court is the opinion that in the least reasonable doubt as to Mr. Flowers' guilt can be entertained. The state has failed to convince this court that the proof of Mr. Flowers' guilt is evident or the presumption great so as to deny bail. Consequently, this court also is of the opinion 
that Mr. Flowers entitled to bail pursuant to Article 3, Section 291A of the Mississippi Constitution. And I want to say this while I'm on record on this case, I want to note the troubling fact that in the nearly four months that this case has been back before the court, the state of Mississippi has taken absolutely no action of any kind in furtherance of this prosecution. Even after being ordered to do so, the state failed to file a written response to the motion for bail. The state's also uh, failed to file a written response to the motion to disqualify District Attorney Doug Evans, Evans even though the state, again, uh, had notice of that. The state has also failed to file a re written response to the uh, pending motion to dismiss the indictment. So I just will have this caution for the state of Mississippi. If it continues in its dilatory conduct and if it continues to ignore orders issued by the court, the state of Mississippi will reap the whirlwind. And Mr. Hopper, your boss chose for whatever reason not to be here today. I don't know why he's not here. I expected him to be here. Nonetheless, he is not, so I expect you to convey the message to him that this court expects uh, prompt uh, action from that office on all matters that are uh, ordered to be uh, responded to by that office from this court. Flowers attorney Robert McDuff echoed Judge Loper's call to the state. I believe, quite frankly, that the state should drop the case now. I believe if they don't, the judge should dismiss it now. But if we have to go forward and if we have to defend him at a seventh trial, we will do so. Crystal Ghoston is Flower's daughter. She tells our Ashley Norwood that she's eager to make memories with her father now that he's been released. I knew once he come back, once the judge come back out, I could tell. I knew it was time for my dad to be free. Can't wait to touch him. How's it been without him? It's been, been very hard, but we, we, we grew, like we had a bun over letters and talking over the phone. We so much alike. I can't wait for us to start making memories. Take our first picture together, ever. It's been a great day. This will be his first time meeting his grandbaby? Yes, ma'am. How do you feel about that? Excited. Ready to see Papa? <laughs> We're ready to see him. We're ready to hug him. Coming up, the Department of Housing and Urban Development awards the Choctaw Housing Authority a $5 million grant. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are the top 10 ways to listen to MPB Think Radio? Number 10, the iHeartRadio app. Number 9, TuneIn Radio. Number 8, Amazon Alexa. Number 7, Google Home. Number 6, Deezer. What's a Deezer? Number 5, Spotify. Number 4, Stitcher. Number 3, YouTube. To listen to a radio station? Yeah, all the kids do that now. Number 2, Apple. And the number one way to listen to MPB Think Radio? The MPB Public Media app. Free in the iTunes and Google Play Store. What about just over the radio in the car? Yeah, you can do that too. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Department of Housing and Urban Development has awarded the Choctaw Housing Authority a $5 million grant. We spoke with CHA Executive Director Eric Willis and Choctaw Band of Indians Chief Cyrus Ben about the grant process. The funding uh, that comes from Congress, that is appropriated from Congress, it comes to the tribe, and then the tribe then uh, afford those funds to the Housing Authority to basically uh, uh, 
take care of the programs as well as the renovations and the new development uh, of the housing authority for the Choctaw members. Tell us about the application process or how how uh, the authority ended up with $5 million from HUD. There's, there was a competitive uh, Indian housing block grant uh, that was uh, set aside from the Congress. It was a t- uh, total of $200 million. There were 200 applicants uh, that applied for uh, a maximum grant of $5 million. Um, uh, 52 uh, tribes were successful with that competitive grant, and we were one of those tribes that received uh, that award. When you made the application, did you have to say, this is exactly how we're going to spend this money? Should we get it? I did. Yes, we did. We have to, uh, there, there is a program uh, uh, narrative, budget narrative, uh, and it's basically detailing how we are to use that money, what we was going to use that money for, where we was going to spend that money, and how many houses we was going to, how many houses are to be built uh, with that with those funds. What is the need, or where is the need greatest where this money will help? Need that is greatest is probably in the Pearl River community. Uh, uh, Pearl River community consists of probably more than fifty percent of the total population of the Missing Band Choctaw Indians. And so um, as populations grow uh, with our demographics, the need for housing in this area is most greatest. Eric Willis is the executive director of the Choctaw Housing Authority. Now we're going to speak with the chief of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, Cyrus Ben. Chief Ben, can you give us an idea of how many uh, in the Band of Choctaw Indians do they all live on uh, in one particular area? Is there a reservation for the tribe? Just tell us about the tribe in general, if you would. Well, the tribe encompasses over 35,000 acres. Now, the 35,000 acres is not contiguous. Uh, we are spread out all over lands inside Mississippi and also in West Tennessee. And as far as our 11,000-plus members, uh, I would say 90-plus percent live on our tribal lands. Have individual members of the tribe petitioned for assistance for a new house, for for assistance with a house they already have? And was that information then part of the application process? Oh, yes. We utilize the, uh, the application waiting list. And also, uh, we work very well uh, closely with Choctaw Housing Authority. Uh, you know, there's various avenues. We do rental rental homes. We also do the mortgage program where it allows for our tribal members to go and do the conventional amateurized loan process to build housing on their own if they want a custom home. Uh, but with the, with the ever-growing population, as is affected all across Indian country and all across America, is affordable housing is the biggest challenge of all. How many people were involved in total in putting this application together? Well, we have the, uh, we, have, we of course, you know, we employ grant writers itself uh, as staff, uh, and the tribal council uh, encompasses our legislative arm of the tribe and encompasses 17 tribal council representatives representing eight, tri- eight communities, excuse me, eight communities throughout our uh, lands that's recognized by our constitution and bylaws. And so, you know, we, aside from the, the legislative arm, the executive branch where I serve as the tribal chief, uh, we work very collaboratively, you know, in every effort to try to find fundings and avenues to try to provide for our people. Is this the largest amount ever received from the federal government? 
That is correct. I mean, this this is uh, this is. I mean, this is one of the greatest news you've heard all across Indian country uh, with this uh, approval of the block grant of two hundred million that will go into Indian communities to assist in addressing the housing demand. Well, congratulations on such a huge award, and it sounds like you can do a great deal of good with it. Chief of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, Cyrus Ben, is our guest, along with the Executive Director of the Choctaw Housing Authority, Eric Willis. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. I mean, this is great news, not only for us here at Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, Choctaw Housing Authority, uh, and our tribal members, but all across Indian country uh, to have this to have this aid and try to address the housing demand and shortage that we have in all of our lands. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.